Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,359. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Desert Hot Springs, California, where it indeed is a bit hot, with a very special guest by the name of Ronald Ahrens. Ronald, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Uh, ooga. <laughs> there you go. So before we begin, I'd love to ask you this question. What's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Ronald? What most people don't know about me is that I spent much of my youth at stock car speedways in eastern Nebraska and western Iowa. And if I couldn't be a racing driver when I grew up, I wanted to be track announcer. Ah, okay. I've had a few of those on the show. Well, uh, that's a good thing because that means some petrol runs in your veins. And that's definitely what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, let me introduce you and we'll dive into what your career has looked like. Uh, Ronald Ahrens is a freelance writer who contributes to Our Detroit, D Business, Detroit's premier business journal, and Palm Springs Life, just down the road from where he lives. A centerpiece of his career is having written for the late and much lamented automobile magazine over a 33-year period. I subscribed to that magazine. It was great. <laughs> he lives in a desert hideaway near Palm Springs, California, and is involved as a volunteer in the Palm Springs International Film Festival and in Modernism Week, the annual festival celebrating Palm Springs design and architecture. I want to come out and go to that. I love that. My dad was an architect. Yeah. The June issue of Palm Springs Life will feature Ronald's words covering IndyCar. We're going to learn a lot more about Ronald, but first, a word from our sponsors. So sit tight, buckle up, stay cool, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. 
And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. All right, we are back. So, Ronald, before we dive into some of the things you're doing today, how did you get in this world and career path of writing? You know, I was an English major in college and decided I wanted to be a writer. Ended up writing for magazines when I was 25, starting then. And a few years later, I got recruited to be part of the original team at Automobile Magazine in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we moved there, my wife and I, in late in 85 and were, uh, were part of the launch. The first issue was 86 for April. And it was uh, it was one of those experiences, you know, that I mean, the founding editor in chief, David E. Davis Jr., promised that it would stick with us for the rest of our career, you know. And uh, it was a, a startup with a real laboratory kind of feel to it, and these huge personalities, money being thrown around, and really an entree to the big leagues. I had come from a pretty obscure freelance background at that point, and everywhere I went, you know, people wanted to know, what is David E. Davis Jr. like? And uh, a great example of that is when I was at a Barrett-Jackson auction in the late 80s in Scottsdale, and these two guys who probably wouldn't normally have paid attention to me invited me to come to the motorhome for a steak after the you know, after the day. And, and I found my way out through a zillion motorhomes to their place and <laughs> knock on the door and they, they admit me and they have a third guest, uh, uh, a hooker named Turbo. And oh, no. uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like uh, usually kind of the last to figure things out. So, <laughs> you know, there are the, sit the four of us in, in the cozy little dining nook of this motorhome and I'm seated beside Turbo uh, and, you know, how's your day going so far? I, I don't know, making small talk. They probably thought I was some kind of idiot. Uh, but this one guy just kept kept going. What is David E. Davis Jr. like? And, you know, I would tell everybody pretty much the same thing. He's was well-dressed, erudite, kind of loud, opinionated, usually a little pompous. But, uh, you know, he was a great inspiration However, the the mentorship that I got at Automobile was really from the West Coast editor, Michael Jordan, who always called himself the slow white Michael Jordan. <laughs> but, you know, he was a, a really discerning pacemaker guy. And if he liked the story that I wrote, you know, that was as good as some big prize. And, and Michael uh, spent a lot of time bringing me along, I guess I would say. Yeah. Well, lucky to have, I mean, bigger than life, uh, David E. Davis, but it sounds like Michael was perhaps a bigger mentor and influence in, in your writing career. Would I be right to say that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just was looking through some emails and I found one where he said, uh, what story was it? You do a better job with going places and doing things than anyone on the staff. Not that it's a very demanding comparison. <laughs> oh my oh gosh. Build you up and knock you down a few notches. Yeah, yeah, that's how he was. But, you know, I mean, it was that critical view of things that really was necessary. And, and uh, you know, he, he could pick out quality. So 
that's good to have around and uh, definitely as a boss and can nurture and mentor you and, and kind of move you along. And you know, I mentioned in your intro some of the things that uh, that you're doing right now, and I wanted to touch on those. Uh, the June issue of Palm Springs Life. Which is out. It, 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 the July issue is out now. So Great. And I mentioned, or I um, I noticed had uh, Joseph Newgarden on the cover from, of course, Indy 500. And uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you got to do with that. Because I know that IndyCar, they came out to the Thermal Club, and I've had the people running the Thermal Club as guests here on the show. A great facility, uh-huh. uh, for sure. But uh, how did that all go? Right. The IndyCar series came to Palm Springs for the first time ever. And that was uh, January, late January and first two days of February. So they, they did their media content days at the Palm Springs Convention Center. And we all got to have press conferences with them at the drivers and then out on the track at the Thermal Club for two days. So I had persuaded Palm Springs Life editor Emily Chavez Foster to let's do some coverage. And she has a background in, you know, at an F1 title and did a motorcycle title. And so she was interested and she said she wanted it to be spectacular. We brought a photographer out from LA and when they got on track, IndyCar series, they call this spring training, you know, so it's just practice. When they got on track, I made sure that the photographer, Patrick Mouse, got uh, photos of New Garden, I, you know, this is kind of fixed on New Garden, and and uh, so Emily told me April 29th looks like New Garden will take the cover, and we're all set. That goes off to the printer, and then the day of the race, I thought it occurred to me finally, wouldn't it be cool if New Garden wins the <laughs> Indy 500? Yeah, wouldn't it be? <laughs> <laughs> they had advanced the release of the cover digital image. Uh, to the day of the race. And <laughs> so he did. He did his part. He won the race for us. And, you know, <laughs> nice working with Joseph like that. Well, what are the odds? Because winning the Indy 500, I mean, it is it is so, so difficult. And to land that, so kudos to you guys. Well, I guess, <laughs> I guess in your foresight that there was an opportunity there. I guess I should hang out with you when you buy lottery tickets because, uh, wow. <laughs> That was a, a good land and uh, and a great article as well. And, you know, another thing I wanted to touch on was uh, you have what's called the American Automobile from Fliver to Furious, your manuscript. Tell me about this. Right. I've been working on this. Uh, it's an automotive history, and it starts in 1895 and goes up to Tesla, you know, um, and I, I take a little bit of a different approach, uh, but it's a compact and lively manuscript with a lot of cool details and people. Uh, you know, one a quick example is uh, just the story of the Army Jeep. It's so interesting, and, and there are elements to it that we, you know, we don't think about today. But uh, even after they, they got the standard kind of Jeep into production, then the army explored uh, like micro jeeps to drop out of glide <laughs> to land with gliders and drive out onto the you know battlefield. Uh, and there were there were three or four manufacturers with prototypes for that. Yeah, for for sure. You know, I had a guest on my show well years ago. Actually, wrote a book about jeeps. Went very in depth the history of jeep, how it all came to be, the fact that uh, it almost didn't happen. 
And then, of course, Jeep went on to, you know, look at where it is today. I mean, it's one of those vehicles. That was author Paul Bruno. That was show number 1696. You can go back and give that a listen. Yeah, it's an astonishing story. The inroads into the marketplace and lifestyle, you know, of the Jeep owners. But my approach to this, the American automobile from Fliver to Furious is, that I try to make it a story of innovation and uh, inspiration. Well, the automobile, when you think about it, changed the world in so many ways. And one of the things I had a guest on years ago that he kind of enlightened me a bit that you don't think about this, at least I had until he said it. He said, you know, we think about when the automobile came about way back when we had access to very limited number of things because things couldn't be transported, they couldn't be kept cold. So we really only had, let's say food, for example. We only had access to the food that was grown nearby. Well, this morning I had some blueberries that were grown in South America. And, they're, <laughs> you know, so they're shipped up here probably on a plane and then they're put on a truck and then they're taken to a grocery store and then you yeah, drive a car to pick them up. I bring them home and here I'm eating fresh, wonderful strawberries or, or ras- blueberries, some kind of berry, blueberries, you know, on my oatmeal. And I'm going, oh, these are from Chile. So uh, it's quite amazing uh-huh. what, what the automobile has done. And this passion that you have for racing, what are some other ways that you've integrated that into your writing? Well... Any opportunity I've had to to write about a a race cover, I, I, I haven't done too much of that, but I love to hang out at the track, of course, and to develop lifestyle features now um, based on that sort of setting. And I'm really trying to get uh, Christian Lundgaard for Two Palm Springs to do a uh, little tour of Danish modern furniture collections. You know, he won the Toronto Grand Prix yesterday, his first IndyCar victory. And it's funny because I, uh, they have a pre-race press conference in midweek. So I sat in on that one via zoom and I asked him a question about, he's a 21 year old from a little town in Denmark. Um, but he has this tremendous racing career already, European karting champ and stuff like that. And, uh, so he, I asked him if he's aware of, uh, the larger tradition of Danes who came to the United States in search of success, um, people like Big Bill Knudsen, who, you know, ran General Motors and then the Office of War Production in uh, World War II, and even somebody like Lars Ulrich, the drummer from Metallica, and he said he hadn't thought about it, but if he keeps winning IndyCar races, I think it's time that he should think about it, and and I would love to have him just come by for a little tour of Palm Springs and get a story about that. Oh, that'd be very cool. Yeah. Well, given his age, I'm sure that's part of it. And he's probably spent so much of his life and time focusing on racing and getting to where he is at such a young age. It's quite, quite amazing. You know, another thing that I find interesting, you have been um, uh, writing for D business and you, you have a regular historical feature in there about Charles Kettering. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Charles Kettering other than he was a successful inventor and engineer, a businessman. Can you tell us a little bit more about him and why you're writing about him? Yeah, my feature is on the back page of every issue. It's called Closing Bell in D-Business. And uh, we, my current story that's in print is about Loya Sarin and the uh, uh, part of the team of LEL and a lawyer, Sarah Sarinen, who came to Detroit and 
opened the Cranbrook educational community. Um, and their son, Arrow, was the architect of, you know, Dulles International Airport and the TWA terminal and St. Louis Arch. So, you know, they were a fantastically influential family. And we we just rotate topics. And so for September, because it's the Detroit Auto Show in its new decentralized form, we wanted an automotive topic for the column. And I had just read a book about Charles F. Kettering, the amazing inventor from Dayton. Uh, I mean, he was from a little town in northeastern Ohio or north central and went to Ohio State electrical engineering in 1904, then went to work for National Cash Register in Dayton. His big breakthrough there, a couple of them, but one of the, probably the biggest was putting an electric motor inside the cash register so that, you know, cashiers didn't have to crank this lever oh, that's and right. all those yeah. years. So it was so successful that, uh, you know, there was this tragic accident in Detroit when a man named, uh, Carter, uh, I'll think of his first name, who was the founder of a car company from called Carter Car mm -hmm. uh, with the friction drive and Byron Carter. And uh, he stopped to help a woman whose Cadillac had stalled. And as he you know, turned that engine crank, it kicked back and broke his jaw. And he died as the result of that injury. Uh, there are a couple of uh, varying accounts of how he died, but it was infection. And, you know, Henry Leland, who was running Cadillac and co-founder of Cadillac, felt so terrible uh, that he, he said he wished he'd never built a car. And, and they had to find a solution because these people, you know, people were getting their arms broken routinely. Uh, so they recruited Kettering, basically, to come to Detroit and electrify the starters, you know, starting of okay. uh, Cadillac cars. And it was an exclusive, the, the whole Delco starter system with a storage battery on board and they could add electric lights, you know, yeah. uh, for the first time. Uh, the whole system was exclusive to Cadillac for 1912. And then in 1913, Hudson and um, all the General Motors brands and also uh, Chry not, not Chrysler didn't exist yet. Anyway, they they all adopted Delco Electric starting, yeah. and it spread through the industry, except it took Ford a few more years to adopt it. Well, the rest is history, as they say. And, you know, talking about that terrible challenge and tragedy of that gentleman passing from an accident like that, it's a nice segue into something I like to ask my guests, and that is a great challenge you faced that taught you a really valuable lesson that perhaps led to, <laughs> to something great. Is there something like that you can share? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I I was saying that I was pretty uh, raw when they recruited me to come to Automobile. I'd just been a stringer and a freelancer and didn't really know how things work inside an editorial office. So I didn't last very long on the staff. And I was, wasn't the first person that got fired in that startup. And I wasn't the last, but, uh, but you know... Uh, it was just humiliating and my family had been, you know, like he finally made something of himself and then I, you know, I got fired, but they asked me to keep supplying the list of vintage car auction results that I had been doing on uh, as a staff member. And so I spent 10 years kind of on the road going to car auctions and um, 
it was great learning experience for me. Really, every car auction is like an encyclopedia of cars, you know, what's going to come across the block next? And you hear how it sounds and, you know, learn a little of the history of the thing. And so after a while, I stayed at, at Automobile, you know, as a contributing writer and started contributing features like the story I wrote about Griot's garage in, I'm thinking, 96. And, yeah. when, you, uh, you know, when you visited uh, Griot's way back when I was there very early in uh, that career path. Yeah. And, you know, it's just funny that we were probably in rooms next to each other without knowing it. But uh, so, you know, about around 2000, uh, I started getting a lot of really great feature assignments. And and that led to me driving on racetracks on three different continents in press events. And all the dreams I had were really realized. So, Basically, by hanging in there, you know, and usually keeping my mouth shut uh, and, you know, don't be late with your story. And, you know, uh, I just do the work my way back into rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Just do the work. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, you and vehicles and cars, because we are on cars. Yeah. Here. Is there one special vehicle when you look back in your life that stands out for you? Now, this could be a car you owned or maybe it's a car you were lucky enough to jump into and you went, Wow, I get to do this and get paid for it? Yeah. A special car for me was our family's 1959 Volvo, which we purchased new, and I was four. It was uh, the PV544, I think. And, you know, not a real cute thing, but uh, it had a lot of interior features and uh, trim, you know, that was distinctive. And Omaha was like the last place in the country to get foreign cars. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Volvo's strategy was to start in the Northeast, then Southern California and like Houston, and then move inward. So I think Volvo's probably were just newly available around 59. And my father was a early adopter type. So we bought this car and uh, I, I just always had the awareness that it was special. I could still remember when he would shift from third to second at slowing down for a stop sign and, you know, the gear whine. And (laughs) in fact, one morning uh, when I was in first grade, I was sitting in the car waiting for him to take me to school. The driveway had just a slight incline and it popped out of gear. Uh So I start rolling down toward the street and I I'd watch my father real closely, you know, so I reached over and put my foot on the brake and held it there until he came out of the house. Oh, thank goodness. Then he accused me of playing with the gear shift. (laughs) Trying to drive away, (laughs) trying to drive away in the car. We had some people on our street. This would have been the mid 60s. I lived in Southern California uh, that had one of those cars. And I remember Uh, thinking, what is that? It looks so different. It's so bizarre. And getting to ride to school one morning is uh, my friend's mom took us to school. And I'm like, this is really different. Um, yeah, uh, definitely different when you think about the cars, you know, my parents were driving an Oldsmobile Vista cruiser at the time. So, uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Something, yeah. Something well, different. I, I often look longingly at those kind of big wagons, but our car, I, it, I think he got the S model mm-hmm. and it, it, that meant that it had twin carbs. So it was kind of the hot version and he was supposed to sink those carbs regularly, but my father was kind of a procrastinator. So 
uh, one morning we were a family together. The, at that point, I think there were three kids. I was the oldest and my mother and father, and we're on our way to, to church on Sunday. And, uh, there's a fire under the hood. Oh no. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, you know, he pulls over, no panic and just kind of used to problems. And, uh, the hood up and just then the fire department arrives and you know it was a big scene uh not a big fire overall but you know one of these moments <laughs> yeah you don't uh, forget days with the car yeah for sure so i'm a bit of a car psychologist i'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here ronald if you uh-huh. were a vehicle what would you be and why well i was wandering into a car showroom when i was 18 years old this was 73 so you know, the Lotus Europa was still on the market, and I think that was priced around $8,000, which I didn't have, probably a good thing, uh, but I just had that moment of, oh, man, you know, this is the thing. I've got I've to have this, and uh, I didn't get it, and then they all disappeared. Oh, you would almost say a spiritual awakening. Oh, yeah? Now, why is that? Well, I had grown up with, the, you know, my father talking about cars all all my life and he didn't he raced as well you know uh, raced on the local tracks uh stock cars but he always had the foreign car magazines and was talking to me about overhead cams and you know (laughs) um so i really had an awareness of foreign cars and the lotus just it was so exotic you know we we never saw things like ferraris in omaha (laughs) So this was probably the most exotic car I had ever seen up to that point. So you identify as that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that was the thing I would have done if I had $8,000 and (laughs) a lot of British tools. Yeah, definitely. Or a good mechanic for sure. Now, one of the people, a guy who's become a friend of mine that's introduced so many people to this show, his name is Doug Stokes. And he brings me some very, very unique characters, I should say, like you. And he was chatting and said, oh, you've got to have Ronald on the show. But the name of your business, Baggy Paragraphs, Doug said to me, Ask him, where did that come from? What does that mean? So, so I got to ask you, Ronald, baggy paragraphs, what what gives? Well, it's supposed to be self-explanatory, right? But, uh, <laughs> All right. you know, uh, I think uh, I was in the 90s. I was just searching for my first email address, and I realized I could make it anything. So that was a phrase that existed in a notebook, and I decided baggy paragraphs kind of describes my writing. Okay. We came from a period of, oh, you know, Jack Kerouac and uh, unconscious writing, or and then the new journalism really lay it on thick. So kind of like that. And then also, I try to be funny. So there is that baggy pants comedian tradition. Okay. And I just uh, combined them. And uh, recently, I was speaking to someone... Uh, you know, people from New York, they take themselves very seriously. And I was speaking to a publicist from New York who was obviously outraged at my, my handle, Baggy Paragraphs Company, which which honestly is just a, a name on paper. It's not a legal entity anyway. I'm a freelance writer, you know, one one person operation. But I thought, well, I guess you don't get it. And a lot of other people do. And um you know, every now and then somebody gets a giggle out of it. Even David E. liked it. So there. 
They're there. Well, that's the best endorsement you can have. Well, Doug, there you yeah. go. There's the uh, founding <laughs> founding concept of Baggy Paragraph. So now you know. You know, books are a big part of Cars. Yeah, I love to ask people for book recommendations so our listeners can uh, have some even more enjoyment from books in their lives. Is there a book that you could recommend to us? Oh, man. Uh, you know, any nonfiction by Tom Wolf. I was just talking about that new journalism and I meant to say stream of consciousness, you know, um, type of writing, which he didn't do exactly, but he, he could extend a sentence and, <laughs> and, you know, really, uh, like a tightrope act. And, uh, so my girlfriend, Karen, uh, likes to knit and I read to her while she knits. And so we just reread the right stuff aloud and we laughed so hard in so many places that book holds up so well you know and um not just the, the satire but also his analysis you know about these military pilots who volunteered for the space program he places them in the tradition of the single combat warrior and you know it becomes really meaningful he has a brilliant way of making you know, a point that not many other people people were capable of making. Uh, his insight, you know, is is even greater than. Uh, and currently, I'm reading his architecture book from Bauhaus to our house, and it's the same way. I mean, he just destroys these European modernists. Uh, well, the first Tom Wolfe book I read was titled "The Pump House Gang," and. That's because oh, I've never read that one. Yeah. Well, it's because it's about a group of guys back in the uh, 60s, 50s, 60s, that were surfers down at Wind and Sea. And I grew up in La Jolla and oh, surfed, surfed yeah. Wind and Sea. And the Pump House Gang was a story about those guys. And in fact, uh, I had a good friend growing up whose father was one of the original Pump House Gang guys. In fact, he gave me a huge old longboard surfboard it was so big i couldn't carry it ah. myself when i first started surfing <laughs> i think you, the, you the, need a woody wagon for that well you did yeah and i think at one point three of us took it out and we all three surfed on it it was so long um but uh, uh -huh. yeah tom wolf yeah interesting writer for sure so let's go on the ultimate drive i'm a bit of an enabler i'm going to do something kind of cool i'm going to park any car in the world in your driveway you can take it anywhere but here's the key thing since you're into characters and being around interesting people, you can take anybody with you, including somebody from the past who's no longer with us. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you, Ronald? You know, I just did the ultimate drive last summer. Oh, wow. 22 with my girlfriend, Karen. And uh, I'm going to really disappoint you here on the automotive <laughs> front. Okay. I, I have a 2012 Volkswagen Jetta Sportwagon S with the five-cylinder gas engine, and it's got a five-speed manual gearbox. And okay. uh, I love that car, and it can take a beating. So we uh, spent a couple of weeks in southeastern Utah, and one of our excursions was uh, early, like up before dawn, out the door in order to go to Natural Bridges National Monument. Oh, beautiful place. And, and from there, uh, from, uh, to get there, we had to ascend the Moki Dugway, which is a dirt road up to from the plateau to the top of a really tall mesa. And at dawn, you know, the collars are breaking. There's a, do you know the word cinnabar? Cinnabar. Yeah, I know. Uh, in fact, there's a, a car color called cinnabar. 
I'm trying uh-huh. to remember which car that it went on, but uh, I believe if I'm if I'm thinking of the right word. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's used to describe the color of the sandstone in Utah gotcha. as well. Yeah, and and uh, other words too, you know. But that's one of those uh, names of a color, and those colors come out at daybreak, you know, and and then as the sun rises in the sky, it it, it takes they become more brown then, you know. But uh, so we had we had these first gear corners creeping up this dirt road clinging to the edge of a mesa and uh, maybe a 1500 foot elevation gain there uh, up to the top and and we were talking we were uh learning the names of the individual bridges in natural bridges national monument sipapu owachimo and kachina (laughs) they all sound like native american names yeah, absolutely. Well, a kachina is a doll, you know, and uh-huh. uh, that's uh, that was our topic of conversation. Plus, uh, the day before we'd had lunch at, at Monument Valley, which you can see from it's just off to your left as you climb the Moquis Dugway. And um, we Karen was introduced to Navajo fry bread, which is, you know, a real cool experience. And so that's what we were. That's what we were consumed with there well you're going to be a cheap date today then so i don't have to buy you a car or a journey you've already done it so yeah that <laughs> sounds like a fun one i did a quick search on cinnabar i knew i'd heard that before as a color for cars and guess what mercedes-benz buick aston ah. martin ford really bmw lexus all have cars or had cars at some point with a color option of Cinnabar. So that is a very popular color. I think it was BMWs where I got that from because I've had lots of BMWs. So very, oh, yeah, uh-huh. very nice. It steals a lot of thought. Well, you've taken us on a fun journey today, Ronald, and I'm so grateful that Doug connected us. Thank you, Doug, for putting another interesting, inspiring guest here on Cars. Yeah. Before I let you go, though, could you share maybe some words of inspiration, a success quote or a a mantra with us? <laughs> well, a mantra. I mean, I was just digging through a file <laughs> and I, uh, from a trip to Barcelona in 91, and I pulled out a little sheet of paper that said, No se hizo la miel para la boca del asno, which is, uh, honey isn't for donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got to elaborate on this one. Uh, I don't even know why I wrote that down or where it came from, but uh, they don't make honey for the mouth of the donkey. Honey isn't for donkeys. Anyway, that's not really inspirational. It's just one of those dichos or sayings that you come up with. But um, as far as any kind of suggestion for people, I mean, I love the specialty of automotive journalism. It attracts a lot of people who are super enthusiastic. I just want to say, you know, you need to work on your sentence structure and your and learn your English language a little better. Um, or, you know, I don't mean to uh, kind of send anybody. There's a lot of great writers. I mean, John Phillips III, Dan Neal, Don Sherman is a great writer. And those guys have it. But I see a lot of, you know, bloggers and uh, they're, they're good at getting a post up, but it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, maybe you could work on your writing a bit, and uh, that's what <laughs> I've always a, tried to do. Yeah, I think it's a, it's you know, it's akin to what's happened in photography too. I think people have gotten lazy, and uh, those of us reading and those of us consuming haven't said, 
come on, you can do better than that. We just accept it. And I, I, I kind of find it a little bit sad because I agree with you. Writing uh, has declined, I think, overall, because so many people now can put things out there and they don't think very much about what they're saying and how they're saying it. They're just doing it. And it's the same with photography. I think photography has been dumbed down a lot by people with all these smartphones that we've all been conditioned to go, oh, that's a beautiful photograph when, you know, really it was pretty mediocre <laughs> or less than uh, compared to great photographers, well, right? I'm, I'm trying to be encouraging to other writers and new writers, you know, uh, but uh, also work in a joke once in a while. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I lighten up. <laughs> exactly what the world could use. How can people follow you, Ronald? Oh, gosh. Uh, I am on LinkedIn and Facebook. So I'm sort of a rec recluse in a way, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I am a public figure in that I volunteer for the uh, Palm Springs International Film Festival. And I just did some driving for them. Uh, cargo pickup to uh, cargo pickup and return. For their short film festival, uh, they rent computers from a place in Hawthorne, which is 120 miles away. So I did the cargo run for them both ways, second year in a row. And I'm active in, in those sorts of things. <laughs> well, very good. I love it. Ronald, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your experiences. This was a fun journey with you. Until you and I talk again, maybe I'll get out there to Palm Springs to that uh, that home tour. Um, I'd love to go, go see that. Maybe you could uh, take me around and show me uh, some of the wonderful uh, homes and architects during Modernism Week. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Nice talking with you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. It was great fun. How did you discover your path to a fulfilling life? Too many young people flounder in finding an education and a career that fits. But for those who have a passion for cars, trucks, and motorcycles, and who love working with their hands, problem solving, and fixing things, a career as a professional auto technician is incredibly rewarding. Cars yeah is pleased to team up with TechForce Foundation, our charity of choice in bringing scholarships, technical education, and hands-on experience to young people so they can discover a possible future. Join me and lend your support by visiting techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.